Welcome. On today's episode, we're going to start off with some shout outs to our members. Then Nick and I are going to talk about Nick's recurring dreams and some (laughs) things that don't go well with that. And then we have our special guest today, Betty Dahoney. She's the NAAP president. And we're going to have Nick's first ever attempt to interview someone for a podcast. (laughs) And maybe you can tell if he's just a little bit nervous. No, 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 never, never. (laughs) (laughs) Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and give us some nice glowing reviews, especially as we're first getting started here, because we want to make Nick feel good about yeah, himself. Really today. good. Yeah, please. Yeah. For my ego's sake. <laughs> All right. Play that music. This episode is sponsored by Safos. Safos Environmental resolves planning, resource management, and environmental compliance issues through the development of Pragmatic Solutions, an exemplary client service. The corporate mission at Safos Environmental is best summarized as quality, solutions, and service. Check them out at Safros. 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 Envi- <laughs> Do yeah. not check out Safros. Safosenvironmental.com. Let me spell it for you. S A P P H O S E N environmental.com. <laughs> I love it. Safros sounds evil, by the way. That sounds right? like, uh, yeah, yeah, Safos. <laughs> one little letter change. Right. Our shout outs for this episode NAEP was one of the groups asked by the Biden transition team to provide insight to the CEQ's update to the regulations for implementing procedural provisions of the National Environmental Policy Act. So we want to give a shout out to Betty Dahoney, Chuck Nicholson, Michelle Rao, Mike Mayer, and Nick Frederick. Hey, I know that guy for their efforts on pulling that together. So you can find the recommendations on the NAEP website at www.naep.org. Nice work. So Nick, I have a question for you. (laughs) All right. Love this. I have flashbacks every once in a while to like dreams I had when I was a kid. Sure. So, but I, and then I wonder if other people remember dreams from their childhood. <laughs> right. Yes. I think that's absolutely true. I definitely do. I actually used to have recurring dreams. I guess you'd call them kid? nightmares. Oh yeah, for sure. I think they're mostly chase related, but um, yeah. okay. So you know how you see like, a, there's always, everybody has a horror movie that they saw too young. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So mine was Wolf, which is not even a good movie. It's just all I remember about it as a kid is there's a, you know, I think it's Jack Nicholson and he turns into a werewolf. I haven't thought about that movie in years. Yeah. Right. But I was so young when I saw it. All I saw were those evil eyes and that angry wolf. And so I was terrified of wolves. Right. And so, (laughs) and then there's the, was it the Chronicles of Narnia? Like the cartoon. Did you ever see that or no? Yeah. You know it exists, right? So in that, I was also very impressionable when I watched that. So I watched Wolf and that was terrible. And then Chronicles of Narnia came out and they had these big giant white wolves that were the bad guys or part of the, the bad crew, whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> right. So I grew up with like an acre and a quarter, like a football field off to the side of our house. Nice. And so my dream always started with me at the far end. And there is nothing but giant wolves. And I mean, they're like, you know, 20 feet tall. They're huge. Like I'm this little thing and I had to navigate <laughs> through. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm an eight-year-old and I had to navigate through. And about halfway through the yard, they start to wake up, right? And so, of course, and then I had to run and try to get to the door before they catch me. Always trauma, always, always terrifying. And then sometimes I would make it to the door. I'd open it up 
get inside and there'd be one right there, you know? Just kind of <laughs> blah. And so those were always my favorite. It always just wake me straight up. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> so yeah, but that that's mine. I don't know if you have something like that, but I do actually I'm one of my one of my first dream nightmares that I remember I was probably like seven was right. a chase. But it was a monster. It was really gross, actually. It was very gory. Huh. Um it was clean gory, if that makes any sense. But yeah, it was <laughs> right, absolutely right. terrifying and I could still see it clear as day. But yeah. I remembered yesterday a different dream that I had that I just hadn't thought of. This other one, the scary one, I think of all the time. All the time. Like, right, I, right, right. It's just there. But right. this other dream that I thought of was like, wow, I hadn't thought about that one in a while. So it's just right. amazing to me how these things are locked in our brains somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. Around in there. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not even, you can't pull up memories but you could pull up this thing that's not even a thing that happened. It's still, yeah. like, it's just crazy. So I don't know if anyone's listening and knows like an environmental neurologist. <laughs> I'd love to have him on here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, how our, how the environment affects our dreams. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. But what was the dream though? What's the dream? Uh, well, so it was like, an, I was running in the woods. So right. environment outside running in the woods and uh, yeah, yeah. it was like an ogre. So this is pre Shrek, but it was kind of like a real right. life Shrek. And I remember the texture, the movement, the everything of his blubbery skin. And <laughs> oh, then gosh, yeah. it just, it got bad from yeah. there. Like I remember it too well. And it actually to keep this G rated, I'm not even going to talk about it. It was really <laughs> wicked stuff for a seven year old. Oh, wow. Yeah. What oh, brought it on? Yeah. So oh, my head it, I remember where I was. I was sleeping on the floor at my grandparents' house in Palm Harbor in Florida. Right, right. And yeah. And so, yeah, it was such a vivid dream. You actually, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> and gosh. then I have a best friend, not a best friend. I'm still friends with her, a girl I've known since first grade. I remember talking to her in our garage and her telling me, seven-year-olds, well, if you talk about your dreams out loud, you'll never have it again. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this really traumatizing, awful dream. You're like, I don't know if you want to hear this, but right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> how adorable that conversation must have been oh my gosh yeah <laughs> that's crazy yeah hey everyone welcome back to epr i'm here with betty dahoney the president of naep so betty if you'd love to like to introduce yourself thanks nick i'm betty dahoney i have spent the last 40 years in environmental consulting I was a biologist in a previous life, and now I'm what I generally refer to as being a NEPA nerd (laughs) and makes for great conversations with people not in the industry. Yeah. Well, you're in safe company here, that's for sure. And I think one of the things that we'd like to talk to you about today is just, so what is an AEP? How is it influencing environmental professionals in particular? And and kind of where do you see it going as far as guidance and career development? NAEP is an interesting organization. We are comprised of engineers, planners, scientists, policy individuals, and we're all focused on providing science-based information for decision-making. And that makes it a little bit interesting because many times there are individuals who are very importantly advocating for a project to go forward. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times that there are some stakeholders out there who are not quite as enthusiastic about <laughs> the project. Right, right. And typically when we're working on a project like that, we are often in the center of it. 
because when we come in and tell someone some very bad news, like there's an endangered species on their project site, that is not warmly welcomed, shall we say. And then the stakeholders think that because we have environmental in our name, that we should be advocating against all development. And it's an interesting conversation that we are really there to give an independent, objective evaluation of what is going to happen. And we're not supposed to put our bias in it. And we're very much committed into being in that middle zone. I've often told some of our new employees that if we go through this project and everybody hates us, but hates us equally. We may have done the best job that we could have done. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's perfect. I think that's a really good example. Because I think Laura and I were talking previously about, you know, even buying a car, everybody assumes, you say environmental professional, the first thing they ask is, oh, so are you getting a Prius, you know? And so I think that's a really good point. We do have quite a range of interests. So as far as uh, NAEP president, your roles and responsibilities there are a little different, I think, than most of our guests that we'll have here. So is there anything in particular as the president that you'd like to say about your roles and responsibility? My roles and responsibility, I think the way that I interpret it as being the president of NAEP is similar to my job as a consultant. I've been in private industry and I'm a project manager and I may have 22 different topical interests on a project and I'm supposed to, you know, take input from all of them, incorporate it into a coherent story and and make a presentation. I think that that is what my best role in this is to take the strengths of our team members, our, you know, board of directors and our committee chairs and other volunteers and help them succeed. We are very strongly an education-based organization. Right. And being able to pick and select people and bring them into a team and present a very, you know, informed help for other members to go forward with their business. Yeah. And so the education component of NAP, I think, is pretty interesting. It's definitely been helpful for me as a professional. And I think it's something that I'd love to hear a little bit more about too from you. So can you kind of give me an idea of how NAP tries to educate those professional industry professionals on environmental issues? Yes, we have a variety of methods that we are using for education. And with COVID, we have expanded right. those into an opportunity to deal with technology that has just, I'll say, blossomed or become possessed in the last few months that we've been dealing with this. But it has provided NAEP with a lot of different opportunities to reach out to many of our members that I'm not certain that we were reaching out before. Right. Uh, We have a newsletter that is technically focused provides case studies. It gives opportunities for young professionals to have an opportunity to write for a publication and not be intimidated by, you know, thinking it's a journal or something like this. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a great point about the newsletter. There's just so much opportunity there for people to contribute and get their name out. And it's not really utilized, I think, to the level that it could be. 
Oh, definitely, Laura. The importance of that is multifold, in my opinion. The opportunity for young professionals to write and present information, they get that experience to communicate to a variety of different interests. And our membership is tremendously diverse and to be able to do that. It also gives an education opportunity. We have applied practitioners. What really happens in the field? Someone can sit there and go, I've got a similar project. Can I look at what they're doing and translate it into my opportunities that I have in my project? And so I think that it's both opportunities for the individuals, but it's also opportunities for practitioners in the field really to get that practical information on how to do their job. So I'm totally an advocate for that, that type of education opportunity that NAEP provides. Yeah, yeah. And I totally agree. And I think that's great. And there's, I don't know, I guess with our industry, one of the things NEPA has to do is we work with the public quite a bit. I know one of the things we asked you earlier in your questionnaire was if there was a funniest moment or experience that you had working as an environmental professional. And that's what you talked about. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the public meeting that you had. With uh, paper cutout masks? Yeah. So what, what, yeah, what was the project? What was that like? It was a development project, a housing project that was mm-hmm. in a fairly rural community in an unnamed location. <laughs> and um, of course. we were about uh, 30 or 40 miles from the city. And so we drove up to a schoolhouse, which is where many of our public meetings are held in these types of communities. So we're in the auditorium with very comfortable folding chairs. <laughs> and of course, right. I'm one of the only ones in there in a suit because I'm the consultant. I'm supposed to be right. professional. And right. okay. So we're sitting in there and we hear some rustling coming in from the door and we see about 15, 20 people and they have paper cut out masks, colored faces of wolves, bears, and other critters. And they have their signs coming in. (laughs) Um, I am trying not to laugh because that's not the appropriate response that I'm supposed to be conveying. Of course, yeah. So I did this and started reading my notes. (laughs) And at the end of the meeting, the, the one thing that was concerning is there were two of us up there, it was an interest of whether we were really going to be very safe about getting back down from the Right, right. Uh, So those are some of the uh, the stories that I've unveiled with other people that I've talked to who are not in the industry of, what did you do at work this week? (laughs) Yes, yes, I got yelled at by the public. Yes, it was great. Yeah, yeah. very unique for sure. And now just uh, a little bit more, one of the things that we love to do on the podcast is to ask people, about special interests, secret hobbies. And I think we all know where this is going. So Betty, I know that you like to brew beer. So I don't know, like uh, what kind of drew you into that? Why beer? And I don't know, maybe give us some tips on how to do that. Oh, that would take a long time. (laughs) It's a definite interest. No, I'm a science nerd, number one. Right. And beer is science. Consulting sometimes is very 
I'll say intensive when you are right. trying to do very important decision, you know, supporting decision making. And so there's a bit of stress. And when I started this brewing, it actually was I'd been traveling to a project for several months. And one of the individuals invited us over to his house and had some homebrew. Right. This guy was an engineer. <laughs> Wasn't right. quite certain working with him in the office if he could really boil water. So I was thinking that it wasn't, you know, it couldn't be that hard. Right, right. So I went out and got a one gallon kit and brewed it up on my stove and tasted it. It wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah. I find it therapeutic. Yeah. And because it is kind of like a meditation, you're sitting there steeping the grains and then you're putting the pops in and, and the right. heat. And then the science nerd comes in. What if I use this yeast? What if I do this hop? Very creative. So it's a wonderful therapy. And look what you get as a benefit afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. There's no lose in this situation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's funny. I actually, I consider cooking to be my version of that too. It is a great way to, you know, kind of release the stress of the day and focus on something specific. But brewing beer is smarter. I should start doing that. Maybe that's the that's my next step. So yeah. Yeah. It's I'd the like same to know thing is cooking. Yeah. <laughs> like Betty, what's your favorite? What's your favorite oh favorite? yeah. Oh, it depends. I think that many of the breweries make better IPAs than I do. Mm-hmm. But I've made some nice Belgians and some sessions that were very good. Nice. And so I'm one of those that typically doesn't like to make the same beer every time because it is the creative and the different opportunities. Uh, Nice stouts, especially since winter is coming on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. And I have a dangerous question for you. So, you know, please, you know, be careful when you answer this. So the best beer in the country. I know you've traveled all over. I know you have beer. You've had a beer in... Just about every state you've been in. So do you have a favorite, like a favorite state that has a good beer, good local beer? I would say that I live in California and I might be biased there. But if, I, <laughs> if we're talking about traveling, I'm going to say it'll be a tie between Colorado and Portland. Both nice. of those had some nice transit opportunities in um <laughs> you do not need to have a designated driver other than possibly Uber also right, uh, right. To, to get on some of the transit and go to a brewery two blocks off of the line. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. It is brilliant. It is pretty brilliant. Yeah. It's the one thing North Carolina is missing. I will admit we need better public transit. So just for beer, that's the reason. So yeah, yeah you've got some great areas though for walkable beer. Yes, that's true. We do. And that is really fun. Yeah, I think North Carolina actually had to limit the number of, uh, well, Raleigh had to limit the number of breweries downtown because <laughs> they kept they kept popping up and closing. So they're like, okay, look, we're capping it at 25. So you guys go to the ones you have, you know, pretty neat. Yeah, Laura, do you have any other questions for Betty? Well, you know, I could talk brews with Betty for quite a long time. We've been <laughs> able to enjoy some brews together ourselves, different places. Right. For The Baltimore conference was particularly awesome in getting that tour of the Guinness Brewery. Yeah. And that was quite enjoyable to do with you, Betty. And one um, nice thing about the NAP has been the opportunity to 
collaborate with some of our members and in doing that many of those opportunities were conducted at several breweries throughout the country (laughs) in association (laughs) with some of our conferences and or our board members so if someone's interested in becoming more active in in NAEP this is one of the benefits we don't exactly promote on our website (laughs) but by listening to this podcast you can really get some different opportunities here that maybe you might want to tap into. (laughs) Pun intended, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Betty. Well, uh, thank you for your time there. And we really appreciate having you on. Thank you for having me. Before you jump off, anything you want to tell us about where to find more information about you, about your consulting company? Oh, yes. I just recently started my own company and I have not gone to creating the website there, but I am on LinkedIn and my consulting company is very creatively named Dehoney Consulting. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure everyone will mispronounce it. It's the Dehoney Consulting, right? Yes. uh, That works. There you go. That's it. You got to find a B logo and then you'll really... (laughs) Um, I'll get you to uh, figure out my brand then. Yeah, right, right. That's Laura's department. That's uh, Laura. So yes, we're task her. forward to having you on future ones and we'll talk about how that's going. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Betty. So I want to thank Betty for joining us today. Well, I guess we should actually thank her, not just want to thank her. So thank you, Betty, for being on. Please be sure to catch us next time. We sit down with Tim Perry, who's a fun lawyer. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. So please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. But again, only good reviews because my mom reads these and, you know, (laughs) so thanks, everybody. That's our show. Thanks. See you next time.